0: This is a podcast from Three Triple R, one hundred and two point seven FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Uh, Rachel Perks is the writer of a new play, Moral Panic, uh, and it's directed by uh, Bridget Pelotas, who also joins us in the studio. Good morning to you both. Good morning, Hi. Richard.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: So. The thing that immediately jumped out for me about this uh, production was the idea of um, hexing the patriarchy and casting curses on the patriarchy. And I was like, I'm totally down with that.
2: (laughs) Great. (laughs) That's good news. Yeah. Well, you'll like the show. Uh, Yeah. I think we just got really excited about the kind of witchcraft renaissance that's happening at the moment. Although uh, we've been writing and making the show for two and a half years now. So it's been a while coming and witchcraft is only getting more popular, which is very exciting for us.
0: Well, it certainly is getting more popular. I mean, there's what there was a reboot of Charmed a while yes. ago. Yeah,
2: Sabrina just came Sabrina back. Sabrina
0: just came back on... Uh,
2: Suspira has just been had a remake. Of course,
0: the film has just come out as well. Mm-hmm. So why do you think this resurgence is happening? What is this zeitgeist that you have perhaps unwittingly, when you started writing the play a few years <laughs> I ago... I think it was so pretty
2: to, witting. <laughs> Um, I think well, we kind of we like to work in genre. So our previous two works were both science fiction, um, and we got really excited about this particular genre because it feels so sort of like deeply feminine. Um, we got really we got really excited by that, and uh, yeah,
1: yeah. And I think it's also I mean I think it's really returning to the you know zeitgeist right now because it's I think it's about it's a response to a kind of conservative backlash that's happening and I think people, particularly queer people and women, are looking for alternate kind of sources of power, alternate, like, r- governance, alternate kind of, yeah, like, um, relationships to power. Um, so I think that witchcraft is really having a... It's a—it's huge in the queer community. Um, it's huge on Instagram and Tumblr, which is where we kind of started with this project.
2: Queers love astrology. <laughs>
1: Um, So, yeah, I think it's really about what's happening globally, politically. Yeah. Well,
0: certainly it seems a a very, very timely piece in terms of taking control, uh, making new narratives, rejecting the the kind of patriarchal bullshit of Trump and the Republican Party and here in Australia, the the, the stupidly named Liberal Party.
1: (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think it really is about that, um, and I think you know it was a very like it's very interesting because I was actually living I was in the states when Trump was elected. I was living there, and it's quite it was quite exciting. Not that he was elected, but like the the kind of um, left wing like uprising and that kind of like the the force of women and non-binary people that kind of suddenly became this huge presence literally like on the streets marching and kind of protesting. And so I think there's something beautiful about the way that that's, that community has actually been activated mm. in the last couple of years.
2: And I think what's really attractive about the concept of witchcraft and um alternate um ideologies like that is the idea that there might be some power that is inherent to um women and queer people that you know it's just in your bodies it's just there and you can access it and you don't have to um you don't have to uh, ascribe to old fashioned patriarchal systems of power and dominance you can kind of find it within yourself in an alternate way
1: yeah and you said something really great the other day actually that was um that you that two particular like patriarchs, the feminine body or the queer body, the non-binary body is like quite threatening, and, they, <laughs> and that you'd rather be scary than be scared of those people. You know, rather kind of invest in your own scariness. Yeah, <laughs> you know, really bring it to the fore. Now, talk
0: to us about the tone of the story. And Rachel, I'll maybe get you to answer this, given that you're kind of writing the piece. Mm. Uh, there, are, there could are you drawing on kind of. Uh, horror tropes, for example, uh, or focusing more on the political or is it a blending of the two? Because I know that your three witches, one of them is using, what, a digital Ouija board yeah. to, to reach into <laughs> the unknown and what responds to that. So, yeah. yeah, that notion of kind of the response could actually be quite terrifying in some ways if you wanted yeah. to play it that way.
2: Yeah, it definitely starts out in a really high genre place. Um, all of our work has sort of starts out in a really comedic place um, and then kind of takes you somewhere somewhere else exciting. Um, and this is very much like more than any of our other works starts out in a really high genre, really high comedy place and then kind of increasingly gets a bit scary. There are a couple of
1: there's jump definitely a few scares. jump
2: scares. In there. <laughs> um, yeah, it definitely, like I'm really into genre and um, whenever I'm writing something that's in genre, I will watch like a film every night while I'm writing it of that particular genre. So I've watched all the witchcraft movies <laughs> um, and I love it. I just love, I love things that are like thick and juicy with genre. So we've definitely gone there with that.
0: The challenge with genre is to keep it fresh. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm also a, a big genre fan and it's what I, what delights me about genre is when somebody plays by the rules of genre but breaks them at the same time and yeah. does something new and something different. How difficult is it to write uh, horror, for example, in theatre?
2: Uh, it's tricky. I think you have to be you have to be really clever because you can't have the same things that you have in a film where you can you know. Um, like we we there are magical moments in the show that have been tricky to create theatrically, um, but we've you know we have great designers and we've been figuring it out. Um, but yeah, I think uh, you mentioned the digital Ouija board. I think we also wanted to talk about like this current generation of witches about the internet about the internet witches and so the digital Ouija board they describe it as being like the internet you know and that sort of thing Mm. but that's not too much of a giveaway Um, but (laughs) yeah (laughs) uh, we kind of wanted to make it very contemporary um, and I guess queer the genre is something that we would humbly say that we're doing. (laughs) Yeah
0: and Bridget obviously as the director then it's you have the the script in front of you, and it, it's the challenge for you is then how to how do you realise some of these elements, and particularly how do you make the comedy land without kind of overplaying it. Comedy is is often quite, can be quite difficult to stage because it can be overacted or or, or should it be played straight, etc. But then you've got to shift tonally from comedy into horror. Talk to us about that challenge as a director as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's very challenging and I think it is really, it's it's to do with a lot of things um, and it's to do particularly with timing, I think, and that's the thing that we're kind of, um, you know, we're grappling with at the moment. We're in our final week of rehearsals and it's really about, like, getting the pace exactly right so that you land the gags and also, like, have those moments of suspense and then fright. (laughs) Um, So I think it really is all in the timing. And then, of course, we've got... um, Beautiful designers. We've got um, Romany Harper and Amelia Lever Davidson and Mary Leeworthy um, working with us, and they're actually like the sound is a huge part. So Mary Leeworthy is our sound designer. Um, and they're making an incredible kind of um, soundscape that, like, really holds the genre together yeah. um, in a really focused we way.
2: A, we had a moment in rehearsals the other day where Mary brought in a new sound that we hadn't had previously in rehearsals, and they just cued it in like the run of a scene, and everybody freaked out, and we had to like, <laughs> we had to run the scene like five more times before everyone would stop jumping every time the jump scare came. It was really good. Oh, yeah,
0: sounds great. I'm, yeah. Uh, I'm already, I was already looking forward to seeing the show, <laughs> but now I'm looking forward to it more. Um, Now, you're bumping in tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Uh, For people who aren't from the theatre world, how challenging is it technically to enter a new space, for example, to, to set up sound, lighting, can have everybody hitting their cues, etc. When it's an unfamiliar space to you, how valuable is it to have more rehearsal time in the venue?
1: Um, I mean, it's incredibly valuable, and it does take a little while to just install everything like that. That always takes just a little bit longer than you think it's going to, like to get the set in and to you know to kind of get the lights all up and happening and the sound. Um, I think that something is that's really helpful for us in terms of getting from rehearsal room to the venue has been that we've actually been working with the sound in the in the rehearsal room mm-hmm. so the last in the last week we 've been running the sound every time that we rehearse, which means that you don 't have all of that um, that difficulty when you first get into the venue of like oh is that what it 's going to be like oh is that what it 's going to sound mm-hmm. like you know from the actors um, so the main thing that we 'll be looking at when we get into the space is where the light where the light is I guess the lighting in this show is going to be quite limited so that's that 's the biggest challenge for the actors really once we get into the venue is you know, making sure that they're, when they're in the light and when they're hidden without mm. giving too much away.
0: <laughs> and presumably limited so that you can kind of make a dark and mysterious space inside yeah. North, yes. Northcote Town Hall.
1: Yeah, and it's quite a big venue, so that's that's quite exciting to, it, it's very exciting once you start to put light on it, mm. you know, to think about what you can do, particularly to get some of those, um, you know, magical surprises and that kind of thing happening.
0: And, Rachel, as a playwright, you and Bridget have worked together. Uh, This is, what, the third production you've worked on together. So having someone you trust to help bring this new play into the world it must be an incredibly valuable part of the, of the process as well, rather than somebody you've never worked with before coming in and, and walking all over it.
2: Yeah, it's it's wonderful. Um, yeah, there's definitely a reason Bridget and I continue to work together. Um, I just know that I can – she she'll just trust me and she'll – she. a lot of people when you're a younger writer or um, – you're not a man, they often think that they assume that you don't really know what you're doing, whereas Bridget from day one has always assumed that I know what I'm doing, that everything that I do is intentional Um, and that's just an absolute blessing to have as a writer. And I also know that I can write a lot of challenges into the script and that she will just run with them and be totally confident about it. It's a very challenging script and that's never been a problem.
1: Well, I think it's one of the most exciting things as a director when when you read a script and and you're like how on earth are we going to do that?
0: <laughs> and particularly on, the, on an independent theatre budget. Yeah. It's, not uh, like, it's not like you have the budget of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, no. for example, where they can go, oh, right, stage magic, we can do
3: that. Yeah, we'll you just yeah. fly them in. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So it kind of pushes you creatively because you've got to come up with a solution that you can kind of do on a low budget and also do with, you know, only a few days in the venue, really.
0: Have you ever had to turn around and say, we just can't do that, cut that scene or <laughs> rewrite that scene?
1: um no I don't think so I think we've always just forged ahead yeah we have
2: a kind of running uh joke that's not a joke about how I often will come to Bridget with like my silliest most outrageous idea that I only actually believe in about 30% because it's so absurd and I'll be like oh maybe we could do this and she'll be like yeah sure and then that's in the play now, and there's no going back.
1: Yeah, and it happens in rehearsal as well. Yeah, actors will do things in the rehearsal room that they don't, they don't intend to be a serious offer. They're just making a joke, and then we're like, "Great, that's keep the it play in. now.
0: Uh, a warning to all actors working with these two. <laughs> keep your mouth shut? Yeah. Uh, the play is called Moral Panic at Northcote Town Hall. The 86 tram stops right out the front. It's very easy to find. You can book by going to au. That's to see uh, Moral Panic by the team who bought you ground control and angry sex. And uh, as I said, Moral Panic, uh, contemporary witchcraft, queerness, feminism and more all mixed up into one hopefully slightly terrifying package. But terrifying. <laughs> for all the right In reasons.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Bridget and Rachel, thank you so much for joining us here at Triple R. Thanks,
2: Bridget.
0: visual art now. Home is an annual exhibition presented by the City of Greater Dandenong, uh, which this year features six artists uh, from a refugee or asylum seeker background. And uh, joining us to tell us more from the City of Greater Dandenong, Trevor Matthews is the team leader of arts and cultural development. Trevor, hello. Hello, Richard. Uh, And we're also joined by one of the artists, uh, Miwes Janbus. Welcome to Triple R. Thank you, sir. Thanks so much. So, um, Trevor, I'll start with you. What's the, the the purpose of Home as as an annual exhibition series? What 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 does it strive to achieve? Yeah, absolutely. Look, so Home really is is there because it represents our community.
4: The city of Greater Dandenong is the most diverse community in the country. Uh, it's also the place a lot of people coming to this country call home for the first time, and that's sort of where the the, the seed of this started. Um, so. It was decided uh, that we wanted to run this uh, exhibition that not only uh, encouraged artists from a refugee and asylum seeker background, but also presented them with a little bit of a stipend to help them encourage their to continue their art. Um, but one of the it's been interesting because one of the big desires throughout has been that that while our artists do come from refugee and asylum seeker backgrounds, that it's very much art. They're judged as artists. So while some of them speak about their experience in their art. Many of them don't. So th- that was the other big thing is we, we wanted to move away from a world where we, it, they were defined by their experience and we were trying to actually present them as artists. So that was been one of the big
0: drives throughout. Now, Mioes, I know you uh, – I think you are a relatively recent
5: arrival in Australia. Is that right? You arrived in April? Uh, yeah, I arrived in April 2018, this mm-hmm. year.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and as well as an artist, you're also uh, an art teacher as well.
5: Uh, I was, <laughs> yeah, I was uh, teaching uh, art for refugees uh, in Pakistan. Uh, also, I was teaching sports, capoeira sports for refugees in Pakistan. Okay, for, so combining for long eight years. Yeah, yeah.
0: combining yeah. the physical and the creative. Yeah, <laughs>
5: yeah. yeah.
0: Um, and talk to us a little bit about your work. I know that uh, the kind of the, one of the themes you're exploring is darkness and light. So that kind of the. The what conflict between dark and light, or just the? Tell us more.
5: Uh, yeah, actually, uh, in this uh, theme that I make, it's dark and light. Are in the dark, which it which is impact, uh, which is shows that people that living in another parts of the world, they are living in a very different, different situation. As I arrive and I see in Australia, they have lots of opportunities here for people, especially for the young, for the youth. Uh, they have everything they have education and everything but other parts of the world they they are trying to find something to continue their education but they they are unable to do to do that so it was about that that in one part of the world people is living in another situation but in another part of the world people are living in another situation but they have also some problems they are feeling they have everything, but they feel that, uh, you know, that they, they, they don't have anything. They they do not know the world, the facility that they have now. So I just wanted to show that because I have seen some uh, youngsters as I arrived in Australia in April 2018. Uh, you know, like my background, I was refugee. I was born in civil war. Then I moved when I was seven years old. We moved to Pakistan. Uh, then we spent there for 20 years, I grew up there as a state, as a refugee. Uh, We didn't have such facilities like people I've seen here. They have lots of facilities here. So, you know, like, when I see here, the youngsters, they they are, like, uh, they they, they don't have, like, courage. Like, sometimes they, they are feeling that you know, like, they have everything in order to promote like, use that facilities. Uh, use their time in a good way in education, in other sports and other things, they're just uh, careless about that I just wanted to show uh, that things that you can see that other people, they have lots of difficulties uh, but you guys have everything you have to use the time that you have the facilities that you have in a good way uh, you can help other parts of the world so that was my you know, main idea Especially I focus in these paintings uh, regarding the women, uh, women uh, in my country, uh, it is difficult for them to go out. Uh, so here women, they can go to out, out and no issues. But there is difficult for them to continue their education. They wanted to do something, but they can't. No one is listening to their voice. That was the <laughs> things that came in my mind to show that in this uh, home exhibition. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm also very thankful to the home uh, exhibitions who coordinate the home exhibition, especially the uh, Gallery Hona, uh, uh, David. He's a really good guy, and he's really, um, I can say that he has a human, which is a big heart. <laughs> yeah, and I'm also thankful to uh, Trevor, <laughs> Uh, sorry for it. <laughs> no,
0: no, no, that's great. <laughs> so, to jump in there, Trevor, it seems yep. like the 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 theme of home is something that res- would really resonate for all of the artists, but also many of the people who will go to see the exhibition as well.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And this has been the incredible feedback. So, this this show we had one of our biggest opening nights ever. We've had really great attendances throughout, and a lot of that attendance has come. Um, like okay, yesterday, for instance, I was just at the, in the gallery and a couple of, of young girls from the um, the local language school, a couple of young Afghan, Afghani girls came into our gallery for the first time because this was finally something that really appealed to them. It's something that connected to them and they were so excited. So not only is it appealing to the people in our area, it's bringing new people into the gallery that may not necessarily be used to stepping into a gallery so it's it's wonderful for the artists it's wonderful for our community actually um this is with this show what we actually did because um bless them uh, ikea springvale were a great sponsor for us and provided um some money for all our artists but what they also did we actually ran a big arts day at ikea springfield so springfield springvale sorry um and uh what we did there was we brought in you know we got through hundreds of people that would never step foot into a gallery, but all of a sudden they were taking part in art classes, they were listening to, we had uh, Afghani pop music going, we had you know, we had members of the, a lot of the staff, the back of house staff came out on their lunch break and we had a lot of the people that were working in the kitchen were from Pakistani and Afghani backgrounds and all of a sudden they recognised the music so we had staff out dancing, it was great. And it was really taking art into the community getting it out of the gallery so um this this whole exhibition has been so great for us to actually connect to our community and put out some art that's not intimidating but is is art that they want to see so it's been yeah it's been really wonderful for that
0: yeah, uh, and in terms of Miwes, um, uh, the the theme of home, you spoke to uh, a colleague of mine from Arts Hub uh, earlier in the year, and you set up a what a studio in your own garage. So, kind of, you've not only addressed the theme of home in the exhibition, but you are making work at home as well.
5: Yeah, <laughs> actually, when I arrived in Australia, I had a big plan. I wanted to make a big exhibition regarding the camelers in Australia. The camelers who you know like attached with the Afghan camelers who came. I was when I was uh, uh, I studied English. There was a center in uh, Pakistan for refugee. So one of my teachers, she was from Australia. She she gave us a little bit information about the camelers. That was in my mind to make a like that exhibition. So when I arrived here, you know like difficult to find uh, materials and my paintings hasn't arrived. Uh, at that time when I was very you know like excited to make to focus on that. Uh, then as soon as I arrived, so I just thinking to make a small gallery inside the house. <laughs> Some people when they guests, when they visit my home, they I took them to the gallery and I showed them the arts of of my arts in 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 the garage. Yeah, it was really cool. Actually, you know, like hearts is something like uh, you know, like it 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 doesn't need to uh, to it doesn't need language, it doesn't need you know like. True Hearts, you can promote peace, you can promote your message, you can promote your whatever you want. You can send the message. So that was really cool. When people come here in my home, I will take them to... Uh, to the garage, and they will see to my heart, yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: as well as Milos' work in the exhibition, who else is, uh, is on this? I know there's some photographic work in there, for example. There is, there is. So we've got,
4: a, we've got a wonderful selection of stuff. So um, we've got uh, Tedros Hannah, who does sort of... Um, well, he's a painter. Um, we have Zia, who is is a photographer, who's done a beautiful series. Um, uh, we have uh, Amir Terani, who does, um, who's done these beautiful uh, pencil drawings. Um, I'm just going to make sure I don't forget any of our wonderful artists. Oh, Elias, I-, 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 I believe.
5: Elias, I Elias,
4: thank you. I you help me with the pronunciation. Who's actually a video artist from Adelaide who sent over an installation work that is just stunning. Um, And finally we have um, a gentleman called uh, Lapsang who is a Tibetan uh, artist who actually makes Uh, These phenomenal masks, and so I I sort of had a chat to him uh, through um, his his translator, and he was telling me because I thought they were demons or something, but no, he's made these amazing masks that are designed to scare away demons. So if you want to come see something beautiful and terrifying, but with a noble purpose, they're just yeah, they're they're pretty wonderful.
0: And Mios, I understand that as well as being exhibited in home, the exhibition uh, as as a result of being shortlisted you've also been given some uh, professional development opportunities and creative opportunities as well is that the case
5: uh yeah actually this art exhibition you mean that it means uh, a big thing for me uh, because uh, as soon as i arrive in australia like uh, like it is the first exhibition which i'm participating in in, in that so it is a big thing for me. Also, secondly, like I've seen here in Australia, like you, you feel like you know not like a strange. Uh, you feel like you're home more than your home. Like <laughs> because especially in Dannanok, you can find different uh, different uh, groups, different people from different background, from different language. You you just feel you know different uh so this uh exhibition is 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 a big thing for me like uh to participating in this uh art exhibition home <laughs> exhibition so the exhibition is called
0: Home at the Walker Street Gallery and Art Centre in the corner of Walker and Robinson Streets in Dandenong. Uh, and, uh, as we said, six artists represented across a range of backgrounds and media, uh, all exploring the theme of home through their work. Uh, Mirwais and Trevor, thank you both very much for joining us here at R. Thank so you so much. Uh, Joining me on the line is the Perth Festival's Artistic Director, Wendy Martin, to tell us all about her fourth and, sadly, final festival for next year. Wendy, good morning. Good morning, Richard. So, I guess to begin with, given that this, as I said, is your fourth and final program, is this kind of right from the word go? Were you saving up all the big guns for your final year to go out with a bang, or is that not how festival programming works?
3: No, I think what I, what I was really wanting to do this year, when I, when I landed in Perth, I said I wanted to make a series. There were four festivals. I wanted to make a series of festivals that celebrate the incredible corner of the world that, that Perth sits within and the stories that are unique to it. And so coming in as an outsider, it takes time to get to know what those stories are and who are the artists. Um, in the city and the the companies in the city and what are are the stories that matter to them and what do they want to deliver. So it's been for me a really, really wonderful journey to get to a point where in my fourth and final festival, alongside all the incredible international art, we have a series of work branded, made in WA, which is seven world premieres um, of really daring new productions.
0: That's, I have to say, part of the the program that most excites me. It's it's always great to see new international work, but festivals can really be such an important time to celebrate the local ecology, to commission work, to develop work and encourage the, the local artists to show themselves off at their best.
3: That's absolutely true, Richard. And and I think it's the role of a festival in a city to do that. You know, there are there are festivals in every city in the world, let's face it. And sometimes you can look at uh, three festivals around the world and they've got, they've got the same shows in them. And that's fine, but they need to speak to the place that they belong in, the place that they inhabit. And so, you know, the journey into the Western Australian Artists, um, for me, as I said, has been a great, great adventure. And I mean, for example, in next year's program, we have a new Australian opera is rare. We have not one but two new Australian operas premiering in, in the festival next year. Um, one of them is from uh, a company called Lost and Found Opera. So they've been around for about five years and they've made built a fantastic reputation um, presenting little-known operas in found spaces that resonate with with what the operas are about. But for next year, they've taken it up a notch, and we're co-commissioning a new opera uh, with a libretto by um, Peter Goldsworthy, uh, composed by Luke Stiles, and they are exploring some of the uh, mythology around uh, Ned Kelly, of course, an iconic Australian figure, but they 've uncovered some really interesting new facts that aren 't really well known by the public and What I love about a lot of the West Australian work, and this one exemplifies that um, this is being presented about fifty minute drive a fifty minute drive outside of Perth in um, what 's called uh, the number one mill at Jarrodale. So so Jarrodale was a timber town and um the the um yeah, the the presentation happens in in the old mill, and there's a set design within it, and the 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 building, the actual structure, becomes part of the show as a musical instrument. Very exciting, very exciting stuff. Um, the other opera that that people will be able to see here, um, actually, it's the first week in, in first weekend in March, the last weekend of the festival, is by the extraordinary composer Cat Hope, and this opera is called Speechless. So Cat was really distressed by reading the 2014 report um, into children in immigration detention. And, you know, as an activist, there's certain things that you can try and, and do to to make clear your views, but Kat really wanted to respond to this report as an artist. And so uh, she's written this opera which has no, re- no libretto. The, the, it, it is sung, but there is no libretto. And um, it's, the music is performed by the Australian Bass Orchestra and Decibel, and the Australian Bass Orchestra. Uh, for this, they, they don't play music above C because it's it's the lower register, the lower note register that goes straight into the heart. And so that's what Cat's trying to do with this opera, uh, and that's being performed at a at a heritage site in um, in Perth along the river uh, called Sunset. And we have another show in Sunset. Um, which is a collaboration between Strut Dance, which is the National Choreographic Centre based here in Perth, and Maxine Doyle from the renowned UK group Punch Drunk. So what Punch Drunk have done, for people who don't know, have been groundbreaking in creating immersive theatrical experiences in disused buildings that respond to the history and the architecture of the buildings, but immerse audiences in a sort of mythological world. And so Maxine Doyle uh, was invited to Perth by Strut Dance, and then we wanted her to make a show in this city, and we took her out to this site, Sunset. So Sunset opened in 1904, and it was basically uh, a home for old men. And so there were... were, um, pastoralists who, who'd moved to the city, former pastoralists, former uh, prospectors who'd gone out to make their, their fortunes in the gold fields and were returned to Perth, and even, if you 1904, convicts. Um, and uh, in the 60s, uh, w- uh, women came, came to Sunset Old Home and then later on became a hospital. And it closed in 1995, and it's been sitting there, decaying. And so as a result of this project, not only are we going to have an amazing um, theatrical experience of a really interesting part of Perth's history, but those buildings are now going to be coming back uh, into use by the cultural sector. So that's a really exciting thing that, that strut and the festival have been able to make happen.
0: It's a really, it is a lovely thing that notion of kind of cultural renewal and connection with with the history of Perth and and speaking of connection with Perth itself, let's talk about uh, an event which was so popular in 2017 that it's returning for 2019. You've uh, uh, artists essentially kind of uh, transforming Perth's much loved Kings Park
3: Absolutely. So the work, um, Richard, is called Bunawani. Uh, Bunawani in Nunga. So the Noongar people are the people of the south, the Indigenous people of the southwest of Western Australia. So Bunawani means the trees speak. And actually, what Bunawani is is a call to action on climate change wrapped up in the most magnificent uh, artwork and magnificent experience of indigenous culture and history and it puts forward an argument um, that if we listen to Noongar uh, uh, knowledge of country and understand how indigenous people have managed country for thousands and thousands of years and we combine with western science we can figure out ways to preserve and protect the incredible environment of the southwest because the southwest of Western Australia is one of only 34 biodiversity hotspots in the world. And, you know, this is an artistic response to, to our desire, to the community's desire, to figure out how this place can continue to exist for future generations. And to be able to do that in, in, a, in an experience, uh, it's a 1.5-kilometre walk through King's Park, and as you walk beneath the trees, you're delivered this beautiful um, and and also shocking and awakening narrative about the place that we live in, and um, the Noongar the Noongar people uh, and all of us in Western Australia follow six seasons rather than four seasons. And Kim Scott, you know, the wonderful uh, um, West Australian author. Mm has written six poems that we experience as we walk through the sixth seasons. So as you're walking beneath the trees, you know... Um as spring, as spring Boonaroo comes, um, you know, the flowers begin to blossom on the trees and the butterflies and the bees fly around. And there's an incredible soundscape. And it's a, it's a beautiful, visceral experience. And it's a really, you know, for me, one of the most joyous things uh, of experiencing it in, in 2017 was um, that people are together walking in silence and looking up in wonder. It's, you know, it's a moment to escape uh, the world of technology.
0: Well, having seen some of the, uh, the imagery of, uh, of that event, it, uh, it definitely looks captivating and magical. I wanted to segue from that because, in some ways, that's using contemporary technology and projection art and so forth to retell kind of old stories and to share them with new audiences. To segue from yeah. that to two of the international works in the festival, which are kind of doing the same thing, taking existing narratives, traditional well-known narratives, and remaking them for audiences. So you've got uh, a new production of Swan Lake, which is reimagined as kind of gritty Irish theatre, and then you've got a production of Giselle, which is set within a a South African township.
3: Absolutely. So um, Giselle is created by uh, Dada Masillo, who is... A phenomenal dancer. Interestingly, these two works. So you mentioned Swan Lake is created by Irishman Michael Keegan-Dolan, and both of, for both of these artists, this is the fourth time that they've reimagined a an iconic ballet. But in the case of Giselle. Um, dada has created a work from the perspective of being a black african woman and really i would say this is a ballet for the me too moment so she's set she set this piece in an african village the dancers are barefoot and the physical language is a blend between classical ballet contemporary dance and african ritual and with all of this you get the traditional um story of you know love betrayal and revenge but you get it from a really new perspective and uh for me in the in the four years certainly that i've been here living in perth and and looking at international work this piece of dance um I, I find utterly captivating, and Michael Keegan-Dolan's uh, Swan Lake, as you say, Richard. Um, it's a it's a piece of dance theatre, so there are actors on stage as well as dancers, and it's set in the Midlands of Ireland, and it's really an exploration an exploration of Ireland now, looking really, I suppose, at the relationship of society to the Catholic Church, and it's a very very powerful work. It's it's a serious and hard hitting work, but it ends with with a moment of such glorious uh, redemption and joy, and and um, I suppose that's what artists can do is is wade through the grim stories of our world, but offer us hope as well, and offer us vision for the future. And, and I think that both Dada Masillo and Michael Keegan-Dolan in these works have done exactly that.
0: Now, there's another work in the festival that I know, uh, I, I believe, is fairly close to your heart. And uh, it's Gats, which is a reading of The Great Gatsby. And it, it's what? An, it's an eight-hour performance, but kind of brought to life in a in a unique way.
3: Yeah, so... Yes, so when I, I used to work at the Sydney Opera House, and uh, and I brought the work to the Opera House during Sydney Writers Festival in two thousand and nine, and it remains, it it comes back again and again, um, all over the world. And when I when I was living and working in London in twenty twelve, um, it was it was on in one of the commercial theatres in the West End. And it, it did huge business and I was reminded that, um, of, its, of its brilliance. And when I was thinking about what I wanted to offer the, the audiences in Perth in my final year, this remains for me one of the all-time great pieces of theatre. And as you say, what happens in this, in this work, it's set in a sort of 1980s shabby office and a bloke walks into the office to begin his day at work. He's the first one in the office. He goes to turn on his computer, and it doesn't work. And he picks up a copy of The Great Gatsby that's sitting on a desk um, in front of him, and he begins to read the book out loud, and he never stops. And as um, his colleagues come into work that day, they appear to inhabit the characters of Fitzgerald's The Great Gatsby. And so what happens is we're witnessing two worlds. And, um, you know, as as uh, the narrator, as Nick, Nick Calloway, the ra- narrator, is reading the book, um, the characters become Jay Gatsby or Jordan or Daisy. And there's a sound artist who's working on stage throughout the whole performance. And he's mixing live the sound of the world of uh, Long Island and the decadent world of, of Jay Jay Gatsby's you know parties and it's so it's a it's a really it's got very powerful messages of course the, the great Gatsby about you know the pursuit of the American dream and what that really means which is I think fearingly relevant right right now the thing I love about it Scott Shepherd, uh who plays Nick Calloway the, the narrator he actually knows the book by heart which is an extraordinary feat. (laughs) And uh, they play a game, the company play a game called Stump the Freak, and they, they handed me the book the last time I saw them and said, okay, pick any sentence in this novel and Scott will be able to complete the paragraph around it. So he is so deeply inside that, that book. And I also, yes, it's eight hours, but this is a consummate, um, you know, festival experience. You think of uh, Cloud Gate or the, the great, you know, works by Robert Lepage that have been presented at many festivals. Um, Cloud Street, I should say, and, and Robert Lepage's, you know, mar- marathon works, but you think of how we sit um, in front of TV and watch those Netflix box sets and are unable to drag ourselves away from the television. I see gaps just like that, you know. It's 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 again, it's a really really riveting work.
0: Eight hours uh, at a festival is something that kind I might sometimes be hesitant about, but having experienced uh, a work of yours that was uh, a, a work that you had programmed in 2017, the Gabriel's election year in the yeah. life of one family, which was uh, almost a full day of theatre, I am absolutely quite happy to trust you, I have to say, Wendy, if you're saying eight hours immerse yourself in it and enjoy it. Look, just before I let you go, Wendy, uh, I did want to uh, kind of highlight the fact that one of the, the key commitments in your festival has been uh, the, the celebration of art and artists uh, with a disability, and that continues in, uh, in 2019 as well. What is it about working with artists with disability that has fascinated you?
3: Well... You know, I think, Richard, you know, in this world that we live in, we need to accept each other for what we are. And artists with disability have really important stories uh, to tell us. And what has absolutely delighted me, so I've put disability arts front and centre in Perth Festival. When I arrived here, we made a four-year partnership with Dada, an incredible, absolute powerhouse organisation, which is for art and social change that, that creates opportunities for artists with disability to express themselves. And in, in my first year in 2016, we made uh, Claire Cunningham, an extraordinary uh, Scottish dance maker, uh, artist in residence, by the end of the festival, I, I took her out to lunch and we sat at a table um, in William Street in Northbridge in Perth and I was unable to have a conversation with her because so many people came up to her and wanted to thank her for what she'd shown them and for sharing her life experience because many people don't, don't know disabled people Uh, people and don't get to hear their perspective this year in partnership with black swan the state theater company we commissioned a work from um a young woman with with down syndrome called julia hales that show sold out we had to add extra performances and julia hales without question was the media star of the festival we want to hear from different voices we just need to be brave enough to put them at the center of our work
0: Perth Festival 2019 is running from the 8th of February until the 3rd of March. Uh, I highly recommend booking a ticket and giving yourself a week or a weekend of art adventures in the West. It's a great time to be over there and theres we've only scratched the surface of the program. There's Vietnamese Circus, there's a glorious, heartfelt love story told through cartoons drawn on the back of pay packets. Uh, there's a, a great, great variety of work. Uh, but, uh, Wendy Martin, thank you so much for joining us.
3: That's a great pleasure. And dare I add, Richard, the Australian premier of Barry Kosky's amazing production of Mozart's The Magic Flute.
0: Yes, with animation uh, by its uh, 1927 Correct. Yes, uh, I, I've seen two of their works previously, uh, and it sounds like a fascinating pairing. So, yes, it's premi It's uh, it's going kind to of Adelaide Festival made all the splash about having it, but you can see it in Perth first. So, uh, jump online. Perthfestival.com.au is the website. I've been ch- chatting with Wendy Martin, Artistic Director of Perth Festival. Wendy, thanks so much for joining us.
3: Great pleasure, Richard. Thank you. <laughs>